Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got your stool all set for you. The martinis are coming, good, bad, and crazy as usual. And, Jim, let's focus on the good martini. It actually comes from Democratic Research. Politico's got the story, but the Democratic Research firm Equus decided to ask a lot of questions of Latinos because they've noted that especially in 2020, and I think again in you know the few states that had elections in 2021, Republicans actually improved quite a bit. And so why is that? Uh, and so according to the research, more than 40% of Latino voters across the country expressed concern that Democrats are embracing socialism and leftist policies. According to the survey, more than 70% uh, who voted for Trump were concerned about this, and Latino voters said they're more concerned with Democrats moving to the left than with Republicans, get this language, Jim, embracing fascist and anti-democratic politics. So uh, not only are they seeing what the Democrats are embracing here, they're smart enough to see through the, the language of, of this survey. But uh, here is what I think, this is buried down several paragraphs beyond this, but what I think is very, very encouraging for conservatives and just, you know, freedom in general. Equus found that there was not a drop-off in worry about socialism as Latinos became more assimilated. Instead, it was the opposite, with fourth-generation Latinos and beyond expressing more concern about socialism than earlier generations. And I know, you know, Republicans over the years have said, well... Once the generation that actually experienced Castro's Cuba, you know, comes to this country and their generation uh, passes away, will the younger generations who didn't personally experience it but heard from their parents, will they still be as concerned about it? And the answer is clearly yes. We also have Venezuelans coming to the country, Nicaraguans who are fleeing this because they know what it looks like in real life, in real time. And so um, so this is great that, uh, that they are concerned about this. And hopefully, maybe Democrats will decide to reverse course a little bit. Greg, as I, as I look over these results, one of the things that comes to mind is that if you have uh, immigrant grandparents or immigrant parents or within living memory, members of your family have lived in a different country and they didn't like it. <laughs> maybe maybe their ancestors thought it was a good deal, but at some point they're like, you know what? This place stinks. We're going to the United States of America. We're going to get there by hook or by crook. Things are going to be better there. Right? Um, you may be used to family stories, family legends, but I, I kind of feel like the, the tone of the, the Democrats and folks on the left who are shocked by this is that they're treating communist Cuba, communist the Soviet Union, being part of the uh, uh, any of the Eastern Bloc countries during the Cold War. It's almost like they're treating like, oh, it's the boogeyman or something like that. Oh, the, you know, monsters in the closet or monsters in the, the woods that will get you. You know, why would these people be afraid of socialism when we know today socialism isn't harmful? Well, actually, it is kind of harmful. You know, now you could argue about how uh, how large government can grow. And, you know, you talk to most socialists in the United States, they'll say, oh, look, we don't want anything like the soviet union and the you know we, we north korea calls itself socialist but we're, we don't want anything like that what do we want is something like norway and usually what i say is like okay so you want really far-reaching and extensive exploitation of the oil and natural gas resources of the country and usually they say no 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 it's totally different that's not what we don't, we don't like that part of norway at all um 
which, oh, by the way, is what helps them finance a whole bunch <laughs> right. of their social spending and things like that. Um, there, there's just this recognition. Look, we see it in this country with people leaving the state of California. The state of California is not socialist. Uh, it is not uh, communist necessarily. I hear certain listeners saying, yes, they are. Well, look, you know, I have no doubt that a whole bunch of their lawmakers are very far on the left. But they are, it's one of the things, the growth of government and the growth of regulation and the government's authority over every little aspect of your life. Uh, I hear I understand the proposal to ban gas-powered lawnmowers because of the carbon emissions. Uh, Can you water your lawn on certain days because of water restrictions? Can you do this? Can you do that? All this constant sense that we in government know best and we will tell you what you're allowed to do. And this is for the good of everyone. Look, it's the same mentality in all of the communist states and all the socialist states. So the people who are coming here from former communist countries down to the marrow of their bones is this sense of, I don't want somebody in government telling me what to do. Maybe these people aren't straight down the line um, uh, libertarians. A lot of them have are coming from largely Catholic countries. They're coming with a kind of a strong sense of uh, some socially conservative traditions, close family ties, things like that. Um, things that don't necessarily put them in the libertarian uh, mentality of a lot of issues. But you get down to it, they have these values that get instilled by them. And oh, by the way, Cuba is still a bad place to live. Venezuela is still a bad place to live. People can see the effects of socialism. And they see what happens when somebody says, look, put me in charge. I'm going to take from the rich and I'm going to give to the poor and everything's going to get better. And then lo and behold, things don't get better. The people in power do do a whole heck of a lot better. The rich get a whole bunch of their assets seized and and money taken and things like that. But the country as a whole never seems to do all that much better. And we're talking about countries in the case of Venezuela, they're full of oil. They should be, particularly at a time like this, they should be out on easy street. And they're not, which is a sign that at some point excessive state power uh, ends up, you know, ruining it for everyone. So look, I, I, I am not the least bit surprised by this. I think this is further good news. And I think it's been really fascinating to watch Democrats um, who were absolutely convinced in like 2008, 2009, this notion of the coalition of the ascendant and the idea that my, minority and particularly Latino votes were going to be their ticket to the, you'll see a whole bunch of book titles with this. I think it was, was it Rui Tushiera, who, you know, the, the permanent democratic majority and James Carville wrote 40 more years and all kind of stuff. Yeah, things don't always work out the way you expect, Democrats. No, not at all. And I think there's a couple other issues that work here. One of the things that, of course, in a communist or socialist country is that if you say anything critical of the ruling class or anything that they don't want you to say, there's repercussions for that. And how often do we see, whether it's social media and otherwise, oh, oh no, you can't say that. You're uh, suspended. You're banned. You've got this uh, flag on on your account. Or, uh, you know, if you say the wrong thing and you work for a corporation, well, well, you're out the door. So I think they see uh, shades of that as well. And what the liberal media and the Democrats won't tell you is, is that most people who came here legally hate illegal immigration. They want a strict border policy. They want to be in a place where, uh, you know, there's an orderly process and people aren't cheating to get ahead of them in line because they probably went through a pretty arduous process. And so this whole amnesty push from the left, I'm not saying it's monolithic, but I don't think it's nearly as popular among Latino voters as they think it is. Absolutely correct, Greg. And I'll just make the observation, like, look, I believe in my in my entire life, I've gotten one speeding ticket. I, des- I deserved it. It was more than 15 miles above the posted speed limit, like 51 in a 35 zone, 50 lashes of the wet noodle. Pay the fine. Everything's fine. But every time I see somebody zipping down the highway way more than they should, I'm like, get them. <laughs> because if I got caught, I want that guy getting caught. If the law is going to be enforced against me, 
And let's face it on Route 50 in Virginia, nobody goes 35 miles an hour. Let's stop fooling ourselves. So, yeah, was I going too fast? Yeah, but let's face it, I was going five to 10 miles above the speed of everybody else. I wasn't going 15. It's not like everybody else on that road was going 35. So if the law is going to get forced against me, I want the law enforced against everybody else. I don't want any free riders. I don't want anybody to get a pass. Unless, of course, I'm driving on 95 to Hilton Head or up to Bucks County. <laughs> You've only gotten one speeding ticket in your life? Yeah. Now, don't ask me about parking tickets because I'm basically <laughs> uh, the Snake Plissken of Old Town Alexandria, uh, this notorious outlaw. That uh, you know, so. Old Town Alexandria, this is, this is a, this kind of segue our, our podcast is famous for. Greg, I don't know if you, your experience lines up the same way, but downtown Fairfax City in Fairfax County has a couple of nice places to, to visit, to eat. Uh, it's gotten a little bit better lately, but for a long stretch, there just wasn't that much in Fairfax City. But man, oh, man, do they have free parking. <laughs> Nothing to do there, but you can park there for free as long as you like. Old Town Alexandria, tons of stuff to do. No parking. All of it's paid. Two hours, and then they will they will nail you as soon as they possibly, they possibly can. So for a long time, I operated on the philosophy, what's the weather? Is the traffic enforcement vehicle, which, oh, by the way, in Alexandria, I have seen parked illegally plenty of times. Uh, is the parking enforcement guy going to want to get out of his little cart and write up the ticket outdoors? Cold, freezing rain, he's not getting out of his car. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Snow, not going to bother. But it's a nice day, yeah, they're going to be getting out of their car and enforcing the tickets. Uh, I gambled, won a lot of times, lost a bunch of times. And that is why I walk around with an eye patch. And actually, I don't mind Alexandria City's masking requirements because it means they don't recognize me. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it means you've beat me on speeding tickets or I've beaten you, depending on how you want to uh, call it that. But I have uh, more than you. Let's just leave it at that. But none this century, which tells you how <laughs> the, I was. The record the first of few David years. Letterman returning to work, <laughs> returning to his home in, in Connecticut, if I recall. No, I'm not. I'm not quite at his level yet. But uh, let's just say the first few years of having a license were uh, involved a few more uh, encounters with. Uh, speed enforcement than uh, than the current century. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, let's move on to, uh, you know, another piece of news today, by the way, Jim, is that uh, Joe Biden is not extending the student loan relief. Starting at the end of January, early February, you actually have to start paying your loans again. And uh, guess what? That means uh, you're going to have to figure out the best way to make those payments without it being as uh, financially uh painful as it could be. And so if you have federal student loans, you've probably enjoyed not having to pay them thanks to the CARES Act. But January 31st is coming. It's a month and a half away. You'll have to start paying them again. So instead, consider refinancing with earnest. Now, make sure you review the CARES Act disclosures carefully and do your research. But when it comes time to write that check, you want to be set up the best way possible with earnest. Earnest is the number one student loan refinancer in the country. They earn the top spot by helping thousands of people get better rates, lower their monthly payments, or help their customers combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And Earnest doesn't charge any fees ever, not even late fees. So take two minutes, yes, it only takes two minutes, and see what your new rate could be. And don't worry, there is no credit impact. If you have questions, Ernest has an in-house team that is ready to help, and you can always talk to a real live human being. And when you pay less interest, you can put that money towards your goals. Exactly right. So get yourself uh, set up the best way possible when those payments have to be made again, and they're coming soon. Right now, Ernest is offering Three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 cash bonus. Refinance your student debt at earnest.com slash martini. It is not available in all states, so you'll want to check that out as well. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. 
And here's a little extra legal for you. Earnest Student Loan Refinancing made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS number 1204917, California Financing Law, License number 6054788, 535 Mission Street, San Francisco, California, 94105. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licenses. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And uh, if there is an official bad martini for 2021, it's probably Afghanistan, yet staggeringly, Joe Biden thinks he did everything right. It's kind of a a weird dynamic with Biden. He doesn't talk about it publicly that much anymore. But uh, he simply says it's the best that uh, could have possibly happened, and there's always going to be a, you know problems uh, whenever you got out. So we did the very best we could. Uh, at the same time, he says if there were any problems, it's because the Trump administration tied our hands with uh, the deal that it made with the Taliban. So. Which is it? Well, Joe Biden on CBS Sunday morning, uh, so this was a couple days ago now, uh, the discussion was somehow on uh, things he was willing to lose his presidency over or not get reelected over, and somehow he decided to take it to Afghanistan. I know what I'm willing to lose over. If we walk away from the middle class, if we walk away from trying to unify people, if we start to engage in the same kind of politics that the last four years has done, I'm willing to lose over that. You mean you're willing to lose your presidency? My presidency. Because you're going to stick right, with That's right, because that. I'm going to stick with it. There are certain things that are just, like, for example, Afghanistan. Well, I've been against that war in Afghanistan for the, from the very beginning. We're spending $300 million a week in Afghanistan over 20 years. Now, how do you know, everybody says you could have gotten out without any, anybody being hurt. No one's come up with a way to ever indicate to me how that happens. Two absurdities there, Jim. First of all, he claims that he was against the Afghan war from the start. Clearly not true. Uh, there was only one person against that. That was Barbara Lee in the House. Biden voted for the war and the use of military force in Afghanistan after 9-11. And uh, I'm sure uh, voted for plenty of military aid over the, the, the years that followed while he was still in the Senate. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that he's still claiming after the complete debacle that the entire world watched back in August and, of course, leading up to that, that he honestly, or at least publicly, doesn't think anything different could have been done to make the withdrawal better. You know what's more, Greg, is that I think, you know, Biden was always this kind of garrulous BS artist, right? You know, he's had infamous cases of plagiarism. So we were already used to, you know, what Joe Biden says on any given day, not necessarily being accurate, uh, not getting past the fact checkers. And, you know, the more, the more he says... True story. The more likely it is not actually a true story. (laughs) The aspect here is when he says, oh, I was a like you start. you could think, well, maybe he's thinking of the Iraq war, actually, which I believe he voted for. So I don't think, no, he was not opposed to the Iraq war from the beginning. Um, You know, it's kind of a weird thing to complain. Oh, I was opposed to the the Afghan. As you mentioned, almost no one in the United States was opposed to. We just been hit by 9-11. This was the Taliban. They were uh, protecting uh, Al Qaeda. You know, I think the short answer is Joe Biden doesn't really pay that much attention to what he says. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, that's okay, because we don't pay a lot of attention to what Joe Biden (laughs) says either. Um, But the president of the United States, you know, words matter and words can have consequences. And in this, I feel like he's almost on a mental autopilot. And one of the components of the mental autopilot of uh, of Joe Biden is that I was right about this all along. In in almost every case, that is not the case. That's not the case at all. In fact, it's you know very often he was the one leading completely in the, in the wrong direction. But in this one, he really wants to believe. Oh, I'm I'm the wise one. 
and history is going to prove me right and you're going to see and you know all of this and then the idea you know the, the other thing is that he seems to you know he loves to conflate this hey you really botched the withdrawal from afghanistan this has turned out badly um, with this idea of, well, nobody had any better idea. Well, actually, one of the great ironies is that his own military advisors had said, um, you, you know, we, we should keep Bagram Air Base open. You should keep 2,500 troops. And Biden has said in previous interviews, he does not remember being briefed that. Now, there are two options. Biden is lying. Plenty of precedent for that before. Uh, or the, Biden, I think, you know, I think we should be open to the possibility that he's not lying. I think that he doesn't necessarily remember uh, what he gets told in briefings. This is an argument that he should not be president of the United States then. This is, this is a very bad and concerning thing if the president is being told things in briefings, doesn't really remember them, and just kind of wings it as best he can through his uh, decisions and comments. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. But I think there's also there's a little bit of an arrogance that, that, that is kind of the last ingredient of this. Um, to say there was, you know, it's one thing to say there was no easy way to get out of Afghanistan. There was no risk-free way of get out of Sam. Fine. Okay. I'll, I think everybody would concede that it was a dangerous situation. The government we had attempted to establish there was falling apart very quickly. Taliban was on the march. Fine. Uh, also, I can't help but notice the administration keeps reminding us how much they had great leverage over the Taliban. We never seem to see any evidence of that leverage, but fine, whatever. The end result, though, the idea that you know, no matter what we did, these 13 soldiers would have died and no one has any right to uh, hope for or expect or demand any better from this. That is excuse making. That is a, a, a really an insufferable tone for him to be taking because this is all a result of his decisions. It sounds like it was done with the against the preferences of his military advisors. And that's. You know, that is the consequence. And I think while, it, you know, the president's lousy approval ratings are not only because of Afghanistan, you look at them, you could say this is what started the slide. And I think it really shook Americans faith that he was going to be this force for stability and that he was going to be this person who uh, was going to uh, make things better. And, you know, we see it in everything from Afghanistan to I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. And there we are. So Yeah. A mess, a mess on many different levels. But, uh, yeah, we'll have plenty more to say about Afghanistan in the days to come, I have a feeling, as we get closer to our year-end shows. But uh, in the meantime, Jim, you mentioned the economy. Uh, more news today. We'll talk about it in the next martini as well. News today that inflation is getting worse. Producer prices up over 9% year over year at this point. Uh, ugly, ugly, ugly. And so when it comes to the value of the dollar, not quite what it was. Hopefully, we'll get back there sometime relatively soon, but the indications aren't good right now. So you want to diversify that investment portfolio. Gold and silver can be a great way to do that. The price of silver has increased 340% since the year 2000, and there's no one, no one better to help you navigate the possibility of investing in gold and silver than Universal Coin and Bullion. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, which just happens to be the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, the leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. 
Postage is free, and you'll be dealing with the experts. No one a better expert than Dr. Mike Fulgens. He is America's gold expert, recognized as such by the U.S. government. He's also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. Uh, we've gotten our gold and silver. You can feel the, the solid uh, heft as you as you hold your ounce of silver. Uh, good to know it's a solid investment, and these folks at Universal Coin and Bullion will guide you through the process better than anyone else. They also have the rare gold coins, but the special silver deal is only available using the code MARTINI. Call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, on to the crazy martini now. And yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said it's going to be a long, tangled process, but he's still committed to getting a vote on Build Back Better by Christmas. Only a couple of problems with that. They still don't have a bill, officially. Uh, and the latest CBO score on what they were told would be in the bill the last time it got sent over there. Not good. Looking at $3 trillion in debt over the next decade because, of course, they're creating programs that are expected to live in perpetuity, but they're not funding them in perpetuity. So Joe Manchin uh, says, look, uh, you're going to have to pay for this stuff uh, in a real way, not gimmicky ways where you just pay for it uh, for a limited time and then figure out how to pay for the rest of it later. You're going to have to do that. We're going to have to have a major rewriting of the bill, which, of course, has Democrats very upset. But the unfavorable uh, CBO score also came up at yesterday's press briefing. And here's how Jen Psaki tried to explain it away. It's important to understand that when you when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a f bill that doesn't exist. Uh, and we should really focus on the actual bill everybody's uh, going to vote on and considering in Congress. Well, again, they scored what they were given based on what your principles were. I've seen a lot of different uh, uh, explanations of that over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, and Jim, at the same time, once again, just like with the House version of this thing, we're going to scramble and cut this and add this and uh, just rush it up to the table, I guess, at the last second when nobody knows what's in it uh, with this massive, massive spending bill. Greg, I'm trying to get my head around the thinking of Jen Psaki. And this is this is dangerous. Don't try this at home. You can, you can brain some neurons that way. Her position is that this is a fake bill that doesn't exist. And thus it must be passed. Yes. That, no, that's, that's a deliberate awkward silence, by the way. Our, our mics didn't drop out. I think, you know. Uh, Greg can't see me staring in incredulity uh, into space, trying to get my head around this, because if it's a big bill, you can't pass it. If it doesn't exist, you can't pass it. It's got, you know, um, none of that makes any particular sense. But the, the maybe we should do is we should actually have a real bill with real numbers and, and have give it to the CBO and say to the CBO, take as much time as you need. Run the numbers. Do them twice. Make sure. Make sure you forgot, didn't forget to carry the one or something like that. And then let's see how much it costs. And then let's decide if we want to vote for it. Of course, all of this, you, know, you could argue, is kabuki theater. Uh, and the subtext of an enormous amount of this discussion is the, the CBO score only, you know, as, as we found out, most House Democrats voted almost just almost all voted for it, even when the CBO had only a partial score of it. We've gotten some more updated numbers saying, yeah, actually, we think it's closer to costing $3 trillion over this time amount. And oh, by the way, this assumes that there are a whole bunch of benefits of the Democrats just to create for a year, and then we're going to let them stop after a year. There's no way they end up extending that longer than uh, the legislation says. Um, you know, the, the CBO numbers are, were basically an attempt to give a little bit of cover for you know, the centrist purple district House Democrats, and, and I'm using that term centrist very loosely, very loosely. Uh, and to say, 
you know, we uh, uh, we, we say, well, look, you know, I know people are complaining about this bill, but by golly, you know, the CBO scored it as barely costing anything after 10 years or it's paid for or this bill doesn't cost anything. You know, it's, it's just kind of um, it's always been kind of implausible. You're trying to spend a whole bunch of money. It's a whole bunch. Let's spend the money now. Let's increase the taxes later. Um, it's just uh, uh, kind of ridiculous by this. I do think that as we get as the year goes, first of all, the odds of it passing in 2021 are extremely unlikely. The odds of it passing in early 2022, I believe, are dropping pretty precipitously, in part because uh, the inflation numbers keep getting bad. And that's been a big factor in the mind of Joe Manchin, or at least in his public comments. And I think that, look, we're probably not going to have good uh, inflation numbers for for December. We're probably not going to have good numbers for January or February. Supply chain issues are not going to work their way out. People, you know, gas prices have not declined very much at all, maybe a couple of cents here and there. Um, you add all of that up, Americans are not going to feel terrific about the economy and they're not going to greet a massive bill, which is going to throw a whole much more money into the economy and probably make inflation worse. So I think the odds of Build Back Better passing anytime soon are very low. I do think that as the midterms approach, Democrats are going to freak out and say, oh, God, what will Manchin and Cinema agree to? Whatever they'll agree to, let's pass it. So I think something gets passed between now and Election Day 2022. Uh, that's the bad news for conservatives there. But I think that... Um, the idea that the democratic spin is now, it's a fake bill, it doesn't exist, pass it. The fact is now a fact that they've completely lost the plot and they don't even know what they're arguing in favor of anymore. No, that's exactly right. You're also right about Manchin. He says he still wants to get something done, but everything's got to fit into the $1.75 trillion. So if you want to make it a 10-year program, you got to be able to fund it within that $1.75 trillion. So it means maybe some of these entitlement programs get scaled back or left on the shelf for a while and they try to come back later. I don't know, but he's still trying to actually make it work. You and I have very different priorities on this. But yes, the bottom line here on this is, uh, hey, here's our bill. Yeah, yeah, you don't come anywhere close to paying for it like you said you would. Oh, but I fixed this typo over here. So now I can say, that's not the bill I sent over. And it's a typo, you know, that's completely irrelevant to the to the fiscal health of the thing. Uh, but uh, as long as you can make some little punctuation change, you can claim that. I, I don't know what bill they're looking at. This is a totally different bill. Anyway. At Jeff- least it's Friday, right, Greg? <laughs> Getting closer, but it's a long way away. Have a good Tuesday, Jim. See you tomorrow. Uh. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us. We're so grateful for your very kind reviews and five-star ratings. I've seen some of those lately. They're very, very nice. I, I appreciate those very much, and they're helpful to the podcast. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And please follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens, the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. He was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, one of the reasons I like Universal Coin and Bullion as a sponsor is because the people tasked with stopping counterfeiting and fraud come to you for advice. No one's more knowledgeable or more trusted on these issues. Tell us about your background and how it's unique. Well, I started collecting at the age of seven, was president of the local coin club at 18 and state coin show chairman. And then I went to work for the American Numismatic Association, Colorado Springs. I taught classes on counterfeit detection and grading coins to collectors, dealers, law enforcement, and then went into business, but went back to Colorado every summer for 20 years to teach about collecting, grading, and counterfeit detection. I've since 
talked to uh, the Attorney General of Texas and helped him with the Consumer Protection Guide and the Federal Trade Commission and consulted for the U.S. Mint, the Royal Canadian Mint, and others. So I'm well positioned to help the public know that they're getting a genuine, high-quality product at a very good price. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.